0: You are listening to Tough Island, Maine on WERU Community Radio, 89.9 on your FM dial, serving mid-coast, down-east, and central Maine and on the internet at WERU.org. Warning, these true stories may not be appropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Chapter 14 The Final Chapter My name is Crashberry, and for two years, when I was a much younger man, I lived on Matinicus, Maine's most remote inhabited island. A couple of years living in a fish shack didn't make me an expert on Matinicus, but it was a long enough immersion to recognize the distinctive nature of the island, to see beyond the myth and the hype, to study a unique society with a wannabe writer's brain, filtered through a thick lens of drugs, <laughs> youth, and hard work. My time on Antinicus taught me an important lesson, be careful on tough island. Occasionally, I wonder how my life would have been different if I had stayed on the island and bought a crumbling fish house and wharf that had been for sale for a mere $5,000. I could have fixed it up and turned it into the coolest pad for a struggling poet. Problem was, the shack was right next door to Captain Donald's wharf, and he would have been the worst neighbor.
1: No good, goddamn hippie.
0: Ah. For the record, he didn't wave at me once after I stopped working for him. I'm done with you. You're fired. <laughs> you can't fire me because I quit. If I was walking down the road and he'd drive by, he'd look the other way. Mary Margaret didn't wave either. Adult. And when I bumped into her at the post office, she'd silently glare at me with an icy gray stare. If I had stayed on the island, my career options would have been quite limited. I'd never be able to be my own captain. Once a stern man, always a stern man. That's the Metinicus rule. And I would have never been satisfied working for another fellow for the rest of my life. And if I tried to set gear, the island pirates would have cut off my buoys. And if I didn't get the message and set more gear, they would have sunk my boat, then burned my shack, burned my wharf, Maybe even shoot at me. No telling what would happen on such a tough island. Island, island. I returned to Matinicus twice. The first visit was about four years after leaving, while working as a reporter on assignment for a magazine to report on the annual town meeting. I hitchhike from Portland to Owlshead, and flew out to the island with my backpack... Plastic tarp, sleeping bag, a bag of ganja, a bottle of whiskey, and a notebook. I spent the first evening at Captain Rick Cole's house. We got drunk and high. Caught me up on the island gossip. My Jesus, a lot has happened since you left the island. And we watched Jeopardy, just like old times.
1: And now, here is the host of Jeopardy, Alex Trebek. (coughs) (coughs) Thank you, Johnny Gilbert. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome again to our...
0: And I got a good night's sleep in his guest room. The next day was the big meeting held at the schoolhouse. I intended to write a story about the Maine State Government's ignorance about life on the islands. The ferry service was threatening to cancel the nine annual trips to Matinicus. No way! No! No! No. Because the steamboat wharf wasn't an adequate berth for their modern vessels, and the proposed replacement wharf would cost over $25 million. That works out to be about a half million bucks per island resident. Plus, it would require a massive construction project that would change the two-century-old layout of the harbor. And the islanders hated the idea. After the meeting, I headed down to my old stomping grounds. I made the rounds from shack to shack and barely knew anyone Hey guys, I'm I'm wondering if you've seen Benny or Paul. All my Sternman pals had moved off and on to different careers. John or Clady or... The fellows down at the shore treated me like an outsider. Uh, who the hell are you? We don't know you. And viewed me even more suspiciously upon hearing I was on the island for a magazine story.
1: Get out of here.
0: No one wanted to talk about anything with me. On the record or off. Feeling uncomfortably out of place, I headed back to Captain Rick's for supper. (coughs) And then to South Sandy for a night of beach camping, wrapped in my tarp. Why am I here? Why am I here?
1: Why am I here? am I here?
0: The next morning, I flew off the island and hitchhiked back to Portland. Thank you very much. Uh, I hope you have a nice day. The story seemed easy, but I wasn't a good enough writer and didn't have enough distance from the topic to do the tale justice. So the magazine piece was eventually spiked. A decade after leaving, during the summer of 2003, I returned with my buddies, Amy Kretz and Dr. John Flood, a Portland veterinarian who practiced animal medicine aboard his 37-foot Albin trawler. Amy worked for John and they usually focused on the Casco Bay Islands but wanted to take a trip to the outer banks of Penobscot Bay to scout possibilities for expanding their veterinary clinic's coverage of Maine Islands. Really though, the trip was an excuse for us to have an adventure. (laughs) As we navigated around the back side of the island, after steaming between Ragged Ass or Creehaven and Matinicus, my heart swelled in recognition. We couldn't go through the gut because the tide was draining, but I caught a glimpse of Wheaton Island on the way into the harbor. Oh man, would you look at that? That place used to be totally run down. The settlement was no longer abandoned. An amazing artist named Bo Bartlett had purchased Wheaton Island and renovated the old buildings into a live-and-work space. And the place looked great, restored to its former glory. But now there were zero sheep living on Wheaton Island. The rest of the harbor seemed pretty much unchanged. We tied up at the steamboat wharf and heard the hum of the island generator. We walked to the post office and store and checked out the bulletin board. One flyer cheered me with good news. Islanders, allegedly, had stopped dumping their cars and trash into the ocean. Thanks to a recycling and cleanup program, burn barrels were no longer considered the appropriate way to dispose of paper and plastic. I also learned that the store well, which had kept me hydrated for almost two years, had been filled in. According to the state of Maine... The water was not fit for human consumption. Human consumption. Human consumption. Human consumption. A quick aside. Apparently not all islanders have stopped their trash dumping ways. The island's annual report in 2017 and 2018 begged residents to stop using steep banks
1: see here washers as
0: a place to toss broken appliances and other rubbish. Dryers, couple of stoves, looks like a kitchen table and a couch. Back during our 2003 visit, my friend Amy who is a serious runner, decided to take a little jog around the island. Two miles long, so if you run to the end and then come back, that's four miles. John and I were debating whether to stroll to my old fish shack or to check out Wheaton Island when a skiff carrying three men came in from the moorings and rounded the corner of the Steamboat Wharf. Lo and behold, it was Captain Donald. I couldn't believe it. I hurried over to the edge of the wharf, amazed to see him again. Hey, Captain Donald! I called out after he scaled the ladder and climbed onto the dock. Captain Donald! He stopped and turned around. He looked exactly the same, like a caricature of a mean lobsterman. Captain Donald! Salt-and-pepper beard, more salt than pepper, no mustache, and the sunlight reflected in his twinkling eye. Captain Donald, do you remember me? He squinted as I walked toward him, my hand outstretched. Nope, can't say that I do. I was your stern man for a year. He looked at me again, looked real close. He stared and stared, and then grinned. Wait wait a minute. "'Were you the one that was with me when I went overboard?' "'That's right. I'm Crash.'
1: <laughs> oh, nice to see you.
0: He cackled and then grabbed my hand and shook it.
1: "'What the hell are you doing out here?'
0: I pointed to John's boat tied up to the steamboat wharf. "'Ah, uh, that's my friend's boat. We're here to check out you some—' "'You better get underway something quick. Tide is draining. "'If you don't leave soon, you'll be left high and dry. "'Okay, we'll, we'll get going.' That's my grandson, he said, pointing to the strapping fellow who just climbed onto the wharf. You knew his mom. The young man was my coasty pal's son. <laughs> Serving as a sailor with his dad was the whole reason I ever even landed on Matinicus. I want to ask him about his parents and his siblings, but I didn't know where to begin, and we didn't have time anyway.
1: Nice to see you again. Take care. So
0: I just shook Captain Donald's hand again. Nice to see you, too. He turned and limped and hobbled toward his truck. Okay, John, let's get underway because we don't want to be high and dry. John and I climbed aboard the boat and quickly got underway. We couldn't wait for Amy to finish her jog. We would have to launch John's skiff to retrieve her because I didn't want to end up stranded on Matinicus. (laughs) Well, that's the end, basically. I haven't returned to Matinicus since 2003 and don't have any plans for a future visit because these days I live on a farmstead nestled in the foothills of western Maine, far away from Matinicus, and I rarely leave our place, let alone venture 20 miles offshore Also, I'm probably not drawn to visiting the island since most of the people I'd like to see have left Matinicus, either moving to the mainland or, sadly, dying. Some of the characters in Tough Island, Maine are no longer with us. Most devastating for me was the passing of my friends, Captain Rick Coles in 2015 at the age of 56, and his ex-wife, Sue Perkins Coles Bartlett, who died a couple years before at the age of 53. Both of them were kind and smart and funny and generous and so damn nice to me and others. And both of them left us way too early, which makes me sad every time I think of either one of them. Rest in peace, reckon and Sue. Also dying way too young was the fellow that I called Shu in Chapter 12.
1: Hey, Grass, I need a ride to my moor. You gotta row me there and we gotta be quiet, don't want Buzz hearing me leave.
0: The last time we saw him, Shu was headed to the mainland in a 14-foot skiff. middle of a drunken and rainy Halloween night after a fistfight with his buddy. Amazingly, Shoe made it ashore that night, safe and sound, and his hijinks-filled life lasted about another 15 years. Then, according to his obituary, he died, quote-unquote, unexpectedly in Florida in 2008 at the age of 38, leaving behind two sons and lots of family members. Many of the old timers, like Captain Red and Captain Emery and their contemporaries, are long dead. And I'm sure the other stern men that I lived near and partied with back in the day are also dead. But I've lost track of all those comrades and bait, friends for a season or two, never to be seen again, but never forgotten either. Yeah. yeah. And Captain Donald is dead. God damn it! He passed away in 2007 at the age of 77.
1: See you later, Mary Margaret. Thanks for all the laughs. <laughs>
0: Luckily, many of my favorites from Matinakis, like Captain Edwin and Nan Mitchell, and Charlie and Donna Rogers, are still alive as of this recording in November
1: 2021.
0: (laughs) And, thankfully, still kicking is my personal hero, Captain Vance Bunker. As you remember from Chapter 6, Vance and Captain Rick Coles and Island Handyman Paul Murray rescued the crew of the tugboat Harkness.
1: This is the vessel
0: Harkness. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Vessel Harkness. This is the Coast Guard Station, Rockland. Roger that. Uh, Coast Guard, there's three of us. We're screwed, I think. Uh, It ain't looking good. I think we're going down over. Plucking them from the angry sea minutes or moments away from certain death. In addition to being a brave hero and an amazing boat driver, Vance is smart and funny and a genuinely kind human, a big guy with a wide smile and bright eyes. At the age of 79, he's still flying his small airplane around the coast of Maine. Captain Vance and his wife, S.T., no longer live on Tough Island. They haven't lived there since July 20th, 2009, when Matinicus made international headlines after Captain Vance took the law into his own hands and shot and seriously wounded another lobsterman who'd been harassing Vance's daughter, Jananne, and her husband, Alan. The story is way too complicated to go into here, but after a series of escalating incidents, Wes Ames and his stepbrother, Chris Young, threatened Vance's son-in-law, Alan, resulting in an armed standoff on the steamboat wharf when Wes tried to grab a loaded shotgun that Janan was carrying. According to Vance's court testimony, quote, Once he grabbed the gun, I didn't know what the hell to do. I shot twice. The first time at West, and I missed.
1: Ha, you missed him.
0: The second time, Chris lunged at me. Vance shot again. Ah,
1: ah.
0: And the bullet from his twenty-two hit Chris Young in the neck and knocked him to the ground. You
1: shot me, you son of a
0: bitch! Janan and Vance were arrested and indicted. But after a five-day trial in 2010, a jury of eight women and four men found Vance and Janan not guilty of all charges. (laughs) Now this was a rare occurrence of both island justice and mainland justice coming to the same conclusion. When you're living on a rock 20 miles offshore, on the outer banks of Penobscot Bay, and you're confronted by scumbuckets, sometimes you're legally justified in shooting them in the neck. Also still among the living, amazingly, is my arch nemesis.
1: You're not a drunkard, are you? Because there's been lots of shenanigans lately on the island, and we don't need any more drunkards on Matinicus.
0: Mary Margaret.
1: Here's your check, though you should be paying us for the privilege of making so much money. <laughs>
0: that gray woman
1: Donald, Donald Donald
0: Donald, the wife of Captain Donald Donald is about to turn ninety-one years old. That's some serious longevity, especially considering Mary Margaret's decades of exposure to kerosene-tainted water via their backyard well, located not far from their plastic-burning burn barrel. In the summer of 2011, when my book, Tough Island, True Stories from Matinicus, Maine, was published, I visited about 10 libraries up and down the coast for an hour-long reading and storytelling performance, which included earlier versions of the voices I used in Tough Island, Maine. Like this one? Yes. Did you do my voice? Oh, yeah. Oh, mine. Did you use my voice, too? Yes, I did. What about mine? Uh, no, I didn't. (coughs) My so-called brown bag lecture at the Portland Public Library was very well attended, and the crowd laughed and laughed, especially whenever I did Mary Margaret's voice. (laughs)
1: Very well. I hope I don't vomit.
0: And they also laughed when I reenacted the scene where Mary Margaret forgot to put the pizza in the oven. (coughs) Mary Margaret jumped up from the table and opened the oven. Oh my! She gasped, then covered her mouth with her hand. Captain Donald immediately saw the problem. There was no hiding it. The oven was empty. His eyes darted to the counter where the uncooked pizza sat. Then he looked back at his wife. You goddamn stupid bitch. Captain Donald exploded Um, um. and his face instantly became the color of his Kool-Aid. You forgot to put
1: the goddamn pizza in the goddamn oven.
0: Mary Margaret was an extremely unlikable person. Uh. In fact, it's safe to say that I truly hated her. You are a moron! Being in her presence was an extremely unpleasant experience because of her personality and her poisonous bile. A goddamn imbecile! But no one deserved the type of tongue lashing that Captain Donald gave her.
1: Mary Margaret, if you had a second brain, that brain would be very lonely.
0: Not in public.
1: You're number than a corned hake and about as smart as a bushel of bait.
0: Not behind closed doors. And you're dumber than a box of hair.
1: You goddamn idiotic stupid goddamn...
0: When he ran out of words, Donald sputtered to a stop, pushed his chair back from the table, got up and stormed into the other room. He grabbed the remote and turned the TV on loud.
1: On NewsCenter tonight, an exclusive interview with the woman who turned in her husband for the murder of an Auburn...
0: Real loud.
1: The possibility of a new life for Loring Air Force Base.
0: Mary Margaret stood there, traces of a sheepish grin frozen on her face. She turned around, cleared her throat, (sighs) and put the pizza in the oven. She set the timer for 20 minutes, Then sat back down. Her gray lips were pursed in a fresh smile.
1: You'll never guess what else I heard about Brenda.
0: I took a long sip of water and listened.
1: First of all, she drinks too much.
0: This behavior made me wonder what other abuses she suffered over the years.
1: And according to the accountant, there's some money missing from the trust. But then, when she went and did that whole thing with...
0: A quick aside. Every single time I've done a public reading of that scene, people laugh. You goddamn stupid bitch! You forgot to put the goddamn pizza in the goddamn oven! If you had a second brain, that brain would be very lonely. Uh, You are a moron! (laughs) A goddamn imbecile!
1: And you're dumber than a box of hair! Uh, you're number than a corn hake and about as smart as a bushel of bait. You goddamn idiotic, stupid, goddamn. Uh, uh.
0: Until they realize the extent of the verbal abuse in the scene, and then suddenly the laughter stops, and everyone looks around at everybody else, and they're all very uncomfortable. Anyway, at the Portland Public Library event, I did the funny voices and the sad stories.
1: A real con man, I'd say.
0: Which translated into robust book sales because many of the attendees were in a book buying mood. The long line of folks waiting for me to sign their copy of Tough Island snaked around the library's auditorium. I was listening to one book purchaser recount his experience visiting Matinicus when I saw Mary Margaret, who, at this point, was 81 years old. I watched as she made her way towards me. She cut in line and interrupted the fella telling his island story.
1: Do you recognize me?
0: She said, glaring, staring, her gray lips pursed in a sneer, gray spittle caked on the edge of her mouth, one of her wrinkled and gray fingers wagged at me.
1: I said, do you recognize me?
0: Uh, I stammered for a second, still surprised by her sudden appearance, especially considering that I had just repeatedly mocked her and Captain Donald in front of a couple hundred folks who had all laughed approvingly at my antics. Uh, Of course I recognize you. Hello, Mary Margaret. She didn't say a word and continued to wag her finger. Then she grimaced and shook her head, and slowly she turned and walked away. My buddy, Bill Lundgren, who at the time worked for Longfellow Books in Portland, stood a couple feet away selling books to the next in line. Hey, Bill, that was Mary Margaret, I said, grabbing him by the arm. What?
1: Where? Right there,
0: I said, and I pointed at her, a huddled mass of gray, an elderly lady slowly making her way towards the auditorium's exit. Bill and I began to laugh at the absurdity, and to a certain degree the sadness of the scene, my ancient arch-nemesis attending my book reading where she's mocked and pilloried to the crowd's delight. My laughter, though, was soon replaced by guilt for making fun of an old woman, and I was haunted by that guilt until that evening, when I was finally able to email a source on Matinicus. I explained the situation, and the response came back almost instantly. Mary Margaret is deaf as a doornail. She couldn't hear a word. Although I'm pretty sure she could still read. Tough Island is written, produced, and voiced by Crash Berry. That's me. Please visit CrashBerry.com for episodes you may have missed, where you can also see my illustrations of many of the characters and scenes from Tough Island, Maine. And my email is Crash at CrashBerry.com if you just want to tell me something. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, be careful on Tough Island.